Mac Power Users, Episode 303, Email Best Practices. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie? I'm great, David. How are you? Excellent. Uh, I know this is kind of a thing we've done before, but I thought it was time we went back to email again. Back to where it all started? Yeah. <laughs> we've covered email a few times over the course of the show, um, but you know, we're looking at it in 2016. Both of us have changed a lot of our, our best practices. There's a lot more email clients out. Uh, so we thought we'd focus today's show on on those two problems. So today we're going to look at, you know, what are some of the better practices for email here in 2016? And let's talk a little bit about the competing email clients available on Mac and iOS. We are not going to go back and talk about IMAP versus POP and some of the other stuff that we've covered at length in prior email shows. We'll put a couple of those in the links. Uh, but instead, I think I just kind of want to focus on the nuts and bolts of it all. Yeah. And, you know, we've done other shows on email and we can put links to those in the show notes. You know, famously, our very first two episodes, it was really just the first episode, but we split it in two, was all about email. We've done subsequent shows on email, but a lot has changed in the world of email. We've we've adopted some new practices for our email. And more and more, there are a lot of new email clients out there. You know, some people are not necessarily happy with the state of, of Apple Mail, both on the Mac and on iOS. And We've been trying some alternate email clients are going to give you some of our thoughts on those. But the good news is there are a lot of options out there now, and there are a lot of different ways that you can handle email. Uh, so if one doesn't work for you, there's another that you can try. In the run up to the show, I've got I've been installing email clients on my Mac and my iOS devices. I've got them all spread out on the table here in front of me as I go through the show so I can reference them. And it's nuts because I've got, you know one application on the iPad and one on the iPhone and one on the Mac and one on the laptop. So it's, it, it looks crazy if you look at my desk right now, but it, it's been I'm, a lot of, it's been a lot of fun kind of looking at what all the competing mail apps are doing these days. It, it, funny. I'm the same way. I've got my iPhone and my iPad sitting right here with, with all the email apps laid out. So yeah, well, I guess let's, let's dig into it and maybe a, a good way to, to talk about that is to talk and dig into a little bit about some email best practices. I mean, David, you wrote an entire book about email, and I think that's a great resource for people who are, are really struggling with email. But one of the reasons that I think email is so hard and, you know, people have gone I remember back in the days when email was new, we used to love getting email. You know, it was so much fun and people were trying to get in touch with us. And email has really kind of become a, a, a dredge now. You know, we have to just get through it and we've got so much email and we don't want to deal with it. And one of the things that I have learned, I think primarily from you and you emphasize it and we've talked about it in our, on our episodes, is that we really have to tame our email and learn how to control it or it will control us. And and famously, you brought this to my light by talking about that ding. Yeah, <laughs> the ding. Well, and I want to get to that. But before we even get there, I just kind of want to talk about, you know, what is email supposed to be fundamentally? Because I think part of the problem is a lot of people get stressed out about email because they don't really, I think, have a healthy attitude towards, towards you know, what it is. I mean, it's really a replacement for snail mail, the stuff that used to get inside your you know, inside your mailbox every day. And it's, it's, that's what it is. It's not meant to be an instant messaging service. It's not meant to be a telephone call. I think it, it really is. If you're going to uh, draw it in comparison to some prior 
technology, I would say it's the mail in your mailbox. And, and I think one of the fundamental problems you have to fix if you're thinking about email and you're stressed out is, is, you know, what is the frequency that I spend looking at email? which kind of lead, leads into the thing. The, the application manufacturers would love you and soft, software developers would love you to spend all your time in email applications, especially the guy who's writing the app. He wants you using it all day. And it's very common. I know in Apple Mail, the, the standard frequency for the checking mail and notifying you if there's new mail was, used to be five minutes. I mean, now it's really instantaneous with some of the push technologies, but let's just say five minutes just for giggles. Um, you know, when you think about that, uh, when you're trying to get your work done and your email application can interrupt you every five minutes, that's 12 times an hour, you know? And if you work eight hour days, which almost none of us do anymore, we all seem to work longer than that. But just assuming it's an eight hour day, that's a thousand and eight interruptions a week, 4,300 interruptions a, a month and 52,000 interruptions a year. I mean, how do you get anything done that way? And, and that comes back to this whole thing. And this is going to be kind of a running theme here is I think you need to chill out a little bit about email. I mean, you, you cannot let it be the boss of you. And, um, One and of the things that I've really tried to stress in my own life is, is this the best tool for this communication? And sometimes you don't necessarily have uh, control over how other people communicate with you, but I've tried to implement in my office and then through my own practices, trying to train people a little bit that I am not going to be tied to my email. You know, if you're going to email me, you're not going to expect a response. Even if I happen to be sitting in front of my computer, you're not going to expect a response within a minute or two minutes. Uh, and and sometimes you have to train them a little bit. And, and we'll talk about some tools and some plugins that I use for that. But, you know, it is not appropriate to send me an email to let me know that someone is on the phone on hold for me. You know, it's not appropriate to send me an email for something that's urgent that you need an immediate response to. And I try to talk to the people in my practice about this. What is the best form for this communication? If it's going to take you 10 emails back and forth to communicate something with someone, you've really missed an opportunity to pick up the phone and call somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've talked about this on the show before, but I wrote about it in the email book, the, the E.B. White story. And um, uh, there's this great website uh, that has like letters from famous people on it. And uh, I don't remember the name of it. Uh, oh, Letters of Note. That's the name of the website. Anyway, so E.B. White was the author of Charlotte's Web and, and Strunken White, if you guys know what that is. And uh, the guy returned his mail. And he wrote Charlotte's Web and it got very popular. And at the time, and this is, you know, way back uh, in the 50s, the schools, the local schools would and librarians would tell the kids, you should write a letter to the author. And they would all write a letter to E.B. White and he would get them in his mailbox and he would write letters back to them. Every one of them, <laughs> you know, and uh, and some kid wrote him and said, hey, um, how come you don't write another book? And he basically wrote back and said, I can't because I'm spending all my time answering mail and the morning mail is my enemy. And this was in the fifties. You know, um, I think that problem is, is accelerated greatly with the advent of email because no longer do you have to lick a stamp and walk to your mailbox to send a letter to Katie or David. You can just send one and you can send it to both of them just by adding another person and, and setting aside spam and marketing, which we've talked about, about at length on this show in the past, just actual mail from people that, that you want to talk to, you know, uh, it's very easy for that to become overwhelming for anybody. If you're in a big company, you know, I, I was talking to a, a listener who works in a big company and 
He says on average he gets about 150 emails a day from internal people that he's expected to deal with. 150. That's crazy. Yeah. There's people listening to the show that are much worse, that have much worse email loads. I know Katie and I, uh, just with the show and the, the various things we do, we get lots of email. Um, so, so the, you know, the problem becomes you couldn't let email overwhelm you. You can be, you can make it your full-time job, just like E.B. White did. And, um, and we don't want you to do that, you know, and part of the problem I think we can fix with technology and we've got some best practices and some ideas we're going to talk about in the show today to help you not be that problem. But part of it is also, I think just in your head, you've got to uh, make a decision how much time you're going to put into this problem. Sean Blanc, who was a guest on our show, I think he said he spends an hour a day with email and he doesn't, um, doesn't spend any more, you know, and if you don't, if he doesn't get to you within that hour, he may not ever get to you. It's, it's, it's kind of nutty. Yeah. Well, there are a couple of ways that you can minimize the distractions from the email. And and you kind of talked about it with, with Sean. It sounds like Sean limits the number of times or at least limits the amount of time a day that he spends on email. I try to limit the number of times I check it. You know, you talked about that if you allow mail to automatically check in the background, you're going to get, you know, up to what what was it? 52,000 dings. Was that a year or a A year? A year. year. And that's, that's not, 24 seven. That's like right. working. Now. Yeah. Right. And, and even more, if you think about it, that we've, we've constantly got these devices in our pockets and on our wrist now that will, will ding or buzz us with, with email. You know, I think one of the t- things that's important to do is to, to limit those distractions coming in. And we've talked about that on the show quite a bit. Perhaps you limit the number of times a day you check email. And I know this is hard to do up front, but what if you started by only checking your email once an hour? You know, at the top of the hour, you check your email. And then you said, well, maybe I'm only going to check it once every other hour. And then maybe I'm going to check it only four times a day. Uh, That might not be so bad, especially if you can if you can ease into something like that. And then I'm going to check it once an hour and I'm going to spend five minutes clearing through it. Or then I'm going to check it every other hour and I'm going to spend 10 minutes clearing through it uh, and and try to limit your focus on it that way. Um, How often do you check your email? Um, Probably. I don't have a religious setting in terms of I, I i used to do it in the morning the afternoon I, now it's more often uh probably three or four times a day i would say and, that's about what i do as well and it just kind of depends on the day i mean if i'm in court all day it's much less and if i'm having a kind of an office day i'm sitting at my desk all day then a little more uh but i do not have any notifications turned on i don't have things going off except for vips which we'll talk about later in the show yeah and Uh, that's a that's another good way that you can do it i mean if you don't want to hear that ding fifty-two thousand times a year turn off the ding i mean there's no rule that you have to to hear the the new mail notification sound Uh, both the mac and ios have settings where you can disable that notification and you can get even more granular with a lot of these mail applications that we're going to talk about you know especially with the built-in applications where you can identify only specific people that you want to hear that that message from. So if, if you're in a work environment where it's very important that you get back to your boss or to a certain subset of people quickly, you can specify those as VIPs or people that you want to get notifications from. But the world at general, maybe you don't have to. And that's yeah. that's one of the things that I've gotten away with is I've got less than a dozen people and it's a rotating list, depending on who I'm working with and, and what projects I've got going on. I've got maybe maybe a half a dozen steady people on that list and the other half a dozen rotate. But I've got maybe a dozen people who I, I set to get email notifications for. And everybody else, I, I see their mail when I check it. Yeah. And, and I want to talk about that 
that issue for a minute of, you know, saying, let's say we're only going to talk a few times a day or, or check email a few times a day. Every time I mention that or write about that, I get an email from a listener reader saying, yeah, that's all fine and dandy for you. But that doesn't work for me because my boss emails me constantly and my boss expects me to respond within five minutes. And if I don't, I get in trouble at work. And to you, I, I feel very sorry because I don't know how you can get any work done because you've you're in this constant, you know, time bomb that's going to go off if you're not checking your email all the time. And, and your boss needs to understand how much money that's costing her or him uh, in terms of productivity, because it really is a huge time suck to have your employees constantly going back and checking email. Um, and, and when I hear about that, I, I'm not telling you to do something that's going to get you fired or in trouble at work, but I would say that you should really consider trying to, you know, change the system and talk to the people that are in charge and explain to them, you know, coherently why what they are doing is, is really, um, you know, torpedoing their own productivity as well as their employees. Um, because, because there are ways to deal with that. I mean, if your boss needs to really get your answer right away, they could call you. They could, you could have a text messaging kind of thing, which is I, in my mind, a little bit more of a priority than an email. Uh, but you know, try and work that way. Now, if you can get away with it, I mean, Katie was saying offline before we started the show, one of the nice things about her going out and kind of becoming partners is that now she's kind of the boss a little bit and she gets to have a little bit more control over this stuff. And, um, and, and you'll find a way like Katie to, to rest control of that email because it, it is just such a killer if you let it. And let it, let it be a teachable moment for your office to say, Hey, you know, I've, I've been doing some research on this and, and back it up with data. I mean, there, there's some books that you can bring or some statistics that you can bring and say, you know, every time we do this, don't cite Mac power users. Uh, (laughs) We're spending all this time and we're wasting a ton of money on, on, on lost productivity with everybody checking their emails all the time. What if we implemented these types of policies or what if I always agreed that I would get back, you know, I would always get back to you before lunch or I would always get back to you before I left at the end of the day. Um, in our office, we have a, an inner office um, messaging system. It's actually connected to our phone system. And so uh, we have a messaging system that if it's something that's important, we can basically send like an instant message back and forth to people. Uh, and, and that's, you know, kind of like the equivalency of a text message. I don't know that I'd want people texting me all the time or because I wouldn't necessarily want, my, you know, my staff to have their phones out and texting in front of clients or things like that. But if it's important, then then a little text message will, will pop up on the computer. I mean, there there are solutions to these problems and maybe you can work with your IT people to, to facilitate some of this. Another good one is looking at a solution like Slack. And um, that's something that's kind of arisen since the last time we talked about email, but there are these messaging services and you don't have to be in the same office or even have a proprietary system. Like Slack is a great example for a lot of companies use it where they've got employees spread out and it, it can replace an email system and it can allow you to have more granular control over notifications. And just generally it's a better solution for those types of communications. I mean, the quick question from coworkers really, I don't think is, ideal for email. I mean, sometimes it serves a purpose because it's a paper trail or whatever, but I mean, it it really is a bit of a sledgehammer for a thumbtack. And now we have technologies that allow you to get around that stuff. I mean, really, if you've got a small company, you haven't looked at like Slack and some of its competitors, uh, you should, because you may find that that's a good way to cut down on the email time suck. Um, 
with very little expense and and just much improved collaboration. Yeah, I think you just have to be cautious because any solution that you implement is is subject to abuse. I mean, we we had a problem in in our office uh, at one point where we had some in, employees who were just basically spending all day chatting back and forth with with each other, which was kind of a problem and. We put a stop to that, but you know, just be careful and and know. I mean, email is obviously subject to great abuse as well. You know, is what could go wrong with sending an email, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. So. Uh, you know, trying not to be the lawyer, but it, there, there's a lot of things that come bad, go bad with email, especially if you fire it off quickly when you're angry. <laughs> yes. uh, but okay, so let's so let's say that you uh, you are able to cut down the number of times you check email a day and that's allowing you to capture like some blocks of time, two or three hours where you're not thinking about email and you're getting work done. What do you do when you get into the email inbox? I mean, how do you deal with it? Um, uh, and for this, I would recommend you watch um, the infamous uh, Merlin man and his inbox zero talk. I think it was at Google that he gave that. Yeah, uh, He doesn't get enough credit for that, by the way. You know, I think he's the first person to ever say the word inbox zero. And I, one of the things I noticed in trying all these apps out is they all use his phrase inbox zero. Did you notice that? I, yeah, I think, I've, I've seen I, it a few places. And I think I, I even saw an outlook. I'm yeah. like, really? <laughs> but anyway, um, so Merlin was the first one talking about this, but a lot of people have talked before and after, but you know, what do you do with this inbox? And, um, the uh, the analogy I used in the the email book I wrote was was that the the physical mailbox outside your house. I mean, would you ever go out and get the email the the mail out of your mailbox? You know, you go check it, you pull out, and you look and say, "Oh, here's a bill, here's um, you know, here's a flyer, here's a check, and oh yeah, this bill I'm not going to look at." And then you would stick like half of the mail back in your physical mailbox and then go back into your house. You know. You'd never do that, right? I mean, you'd take it all out of the out of the mailbox, and then you'd figure out what to do with it. But so many people leave everything in their inbox, and I know every time we talk about this, I hear from listeners that say that that system works really great for them, and I think they are really the exceptions. I think for most people, keeping all your mail in your inbox is just nutty. I um, was helping one of my law partners with their phone the other day. They had an issue with a, an account that they weren't using, and I was helping them clear it out. And I looked at the mail icon on their phone and it had over 10,000 unread messages. Yeah. And I, Ouch. I thought I was going to have a seizure right then and there. And, and I just, I said, does that not bother you? How can you, how can you have this many unread messages? And she said, well, it did, it did at first, but at some point it just got so big that I just now, now I just look at it and ignore it. And I said, well, how do you know if you actually have a new message that's important? I don't. You know, yeah, that doesn't work. And and the the problem was basically she she had her iPhone connected to an account that she really doesn't use anymore, and she's just got a ton of stuff sitting in there. And I, you know, I could I can disconnect that for you. Oh no, I might want to use it someday. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. Well, that that happens, and and it's really um, frustrating. I know that my own personal level of stress goes up when I have a lot of unread email, and it's it's tough because. There's no end to it. You clear it out and then it's full again the next time you look at it and you feel like you're spinning your wheels. But but there are some tricks you can do. So so I think uh, Merlin was right. I think you should try and really have a method to clear out the inbox if you can. 
Yeah. Um, but before we go through that, because that's going to be a lot, a lot of um, coverage here. We've got a kind of a system we want to talk about. Let's take a break to talk about one of our first sponsors today. And that's our friends over at Linode. And uh, Linode is a company that gives you Linux style servers spread across eight data centers around the world. And you're thinking, well, why, why do I need that? Well, it's great for a lot of stuff. Like if you want to run your own personal server, if you want to host large databases, let's say you want to run a mail server for your company and you don't want to have it in your office, you want to have it on the internet, uh, they can handle that for you. You can even operate powerful applications and do a whole lot more with it. So this isn't just for people developing software. It's really for anybody that wants their own you know, server infrastructure out there. And the nice thing is you don't have to go and buy a big server and install it in a data center and deal with all of that. Linode takes care of that for you. They have the server set up. They have the data center set up. You just pay them basically, you know, amount an amount of money that's necessary for you to have a little piece of that. And the plans start as low as $10 a month. I mean, uh, Jason Snell was telling me he runs the six colors website off a of Linode server. I mean, it, there's just so much you can do and uh, they let you choose your resources. They have Linux or node locations right from the manager tool. And once you're up and running, you can deploy, boot, resize the virtual server with just a few clicks. So if things suddenly get hot and you need more server space, you click a few buttons in their manager app, and then you've got it. You don't have to go buy a new computer or replace hard drives or anything like that. Uh, they offer industry-leading native SSD storage, powerful Intel E5 processors, which are the fastest you can get in the cloud market, and they have access to 40 gigabit network with multiple levels of redundancy. So they got a fast network, fast computers, and fast processors. That's exactly the three things you're going to need if you're going to have one of these servers. They have an API that lets you easily automate tasks or develop custom applications in the cloud. And all the pricing tiers feature hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups and node balancers. Uh, they have over 400,000 customers who are all serviced by their 24-7 support team. They're even open on the holidays. So if you put your data there, you know you're going to be able to get a hold of somebody if there's a problem. Now, they're really committed to improving their infrastructure they recently switched uh, switches. Um, they have the latest Unix benchmark shows a 300% increase in performance. These guys are not resting on their laurels, even despite their success. So if you want to go ahead and check this out, um, you can sign up at linode.com. That's L-I-N-O-D-E.com slash MPU. MPU at the end for Mac Power Users. Not only will you be supporting us, you'll also get a $20 towards any Linode plan. And with seven-day money-back guarantee, there's nothing to lose. Go try it out. See if it works for you. you got seven days to figure it out before you're committed. Uh, Linode.com slash MPO to learn more and sign up. Take advantage of that $20 credit or use the promo code MPU20 at checkout if you want to do it that way. So thanks so much to Linode for supporting the show. So I think we should probably, if we're going to talk about what we, you know, you open up your email client and you've got... 50 messages in there, you know, you've got to do something with them. And how are you going to sort through that stuff? I mean, some of it's easy. You're just going to, you you can see at a glance that you don't need it um, and you can just get rid of it. But, but what do you do with the rest of it? And so you, and I think, you know, building off of some of the stuff that, that Merlin has done, you know, we've kind of developed a, a method for what can we quickly go through and do with this stuff? Or is it something that we need to ever see again? And if the answer to that is no, it's spam, it's junk, it's it's nothing we ever need to see again, you can probably just trash it. 
Yeah. So I think there's like four questions you ask yourself and yeah. it's a, it's a specific order. The first is, can I trash it for you know, look at an email? The first question in your mind is, is this something I can trash? And, and I think that uh, I'm much more liberal about trashing email than some people. I, you know, it's not just the stuff that's clearly spam. I trash things that just, I just don't ever think I'll need to see again. And I don't need them junking up my database. So if you can trash it, press the delete button or whatever the delete key of choices for your app and get rid of it. Now, the other option is, can you, if you might need it again, you don't necessarily have to do something with it, but you might need it. You might need to reference it. Uh, the other option is archive. And I think most email programs by default now is archive. This has been going on for a while, at least with Apple's mail. It's It's been even longer with, with Gmail. And archive is basically just a, a big filing cabinet folder um, where you can stick all this stuff and it's, it's going to live. But if you ever need it, uh, you can go back and search for it and find it later. Yeah. Like if you're using Apple mail, control command a will put the existing email into the archive. Right. I think that command keyboard shortcut, frankly, should be easier than three, three buttons, but either way. um, Right. And if you're using Apple mail, you could either, um, you know, put the archive button, which kind of looks like a box with an arrow down on it. You can put that on your toolbar if you want, but then you have to scroll up to the toolbar to archive it. You can set that as a swipe gesture now in Apple Mail if you're using a magic trackpad. Yeah, that's true. If you're using a magic trackpad. But then on on iOS, yes, you can also set it up as a swipe gesture. And if you go into the advanced settings um, in in the Mail app on uh, on your iOS, you can change your default. And it may be the default now, but you can change your default back and forth from archive to trash. Yeah. Um, and change your little trash can to an archive and vice versa. So first question, can I trash it? If I can't, do, can I just archive it? You know, and the archive right. is easy because you don't have to take any further action. It's out of your life at that point. Right. Third question would be, okay, if I can't trash it or archive it, is it something I can deal with quickly? And, and I guess the other question, I mean, does it need a response? Do I need to respond to it? Do I need to do something with it? Well, that would be answered with the first two. I would think if yeah. you don't need a response, it's archived. Um the um, but with the quick response, it's funny. Nerds talk about this, and a lot of people are really uptight. They're like, it has to be less than two minutes, or less than five minutes, or less than thirty seconds. Everybody's got some number in their head. Uh, to me, I don't think about it that way. It's like, but is this something like they've asked me a simple question? I can answer them quickly and move on. And um, if I can, I do, and it's great because the you know you don't want to spend your time managing your email you want to just deal with it so if you can do a quick response that's great and that kind of goes to one of the tips we're going to talk about later when writing emails you should write questions that are easy to answer don't ask real open-ended questions just say hey do you want the batmobile to be black or silver you know and then the guy can write back and say black or silver it's easy whereas you say what color do you want it to be it's harder <laughs> and uh, and that can get exponentially harder depending on the type of question you're asking. Yeah. And so, also when you're setting up your emails, I mean, there's nothing that's going to turn me off to an email faster than having to scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and look at it and say, what does this person want? What am I going to have to do with this message? I, I have and, and I've got to parse through it to figure out what, if anything, I need to do with it. To, to me, that simple. that email is much more likely just to get archived even without a response, depending on who it's from. Yeah. Uh, so if you can do a quick response, um, do it. And that's really great. And um, there's a lot of ways to deal with that. Like one of the things I say is uh, in 2016, uh, voice dictation has got much better on the iPhone. Um, no matter which app you're using, you can quickly respond. And uh, one of the apps we're going to talk about later um, actually creates the, if you hit reply, it'll say, and Katie sends me an email, 
uh, it'll say, dear Katie, it'll, it'll fill in this. I believe it's a salutation. That's right. the salutation. Uh, whatever, but it fills it in. So, so then I just press the record button, start dictating. That's dispatch, by the way, in case we don't get there. That's a big outline. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, so, you know, if you can respond quickly, then do it. And then that gets you to the really hard ones, the ones that you can't trash, you can't archive, can't give a quick response. It needs further thought, further work, further research. And those are the ones that sit there. And your your boss with the 10,000 or your friend with the 10,000 emails isn't going through those first three categories. But even if she'd gone through those first three categories, there'd still be a, a lot of those that fall in that later category. And um, we're going to talk about apps today. There's, there's a lot of ways to deal with the later category that we didn't have before. Um, uh, it used to be that, you know, you had to put them into a folder or you had to put them into an independent application like Apple's reminders or OmniFocus. Uh, now we've got something uh, that we didn't really have uh, as of a few years ago, and that's deferred email. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So the idea behind deferred email is this is something you want to deal with it, but you don't want to deal with it right now. Maybe maybe you want to deal with it tomorrow. Um, maybe it's, you know, as we sit here, record this, this episode of Mac Power Users, it's after hours. It's after business hours. I still may get business email. I still may check my email. Um, but if I do, unless it's a true emergency, by my definition, not by the sender's definition, I'm probably not going to respond to that email until tomorrow morning during work hours. Um, so, but I don't want it sitting in my inbox because that's the kind of thing that bothers me. So I can defer that email until tomorrow morning. Same type of thing. If I'm um, in a meeting and I, I check my email during a break, I'm probably not going to be able to do anything to it until later this afternoon. I can defer that email till later this afternoon. So it's a way for me to get email out of my inbox and then have it come back, you know, almost like a boomerang at a different time. And, you know, deferred emails was something that I, I think kind of like you, it, it had to grow on me a little bit because it almost felt like cheating. And I, think yeah, I thought it was ridiculous when I first heard about it. You have to my... use deferred email carefully because if you see the same email, I mean, my typical rule is I try not to defer any email more than twice, because if I'm deferring it more than twice, then I, I feel like something else needs to happen. Uh, if I'm constantly deferring email, then that's not a proper use of the defer tool. Then it really needs to become, it's, it's either because I don't really know what I want to do with it yet, and it really needs something that needs more thought or it needs to be a project. Um, so my personal rule, not that there are any true rules with this, you can do whatever you want, is I, I try to defer email only only once and then if I must twice. But if I'm deferring it, if it keeps popping back in my inbox, it's it's got to go somewhere else after that. I don't have anything hard and fast, but I do think sometimes I defer too often and it's because I'm unwilling to to just archive something. It's something that I, part of me would really like to respond to, but I just don't have time. And then I, I catch myself continuing deferring it. And at some point I'll say, okay, I just don't have time. So that one gets archived or whatever. Um, so like, like you, uh, when, when this technology first started showing up to defer emails, I thought it was silly. And, you know, as the inbox zero guy, I'm like, no, I don't need to defer emails. I can deal with it. And, and one of the ways I was dealing with it was I was moving kind of those, that fourth category, those later emails into OmniFocus, which creates its own overhead. Then, you know, you need to, um, you need to manage the task in OmniFocus, which is reply to email about color of Batmobile or whatever. 
and and that has overhead involved with it and sometimes it makes sense yeah, i still do that with certain types of emails but i don't think it makes sense to do it with everyone that is a later email sometimes it is just a thing where i need a couple days to hear something back or i just need my subconscious mind to kind of mull it over for a day or two before i respond um before we recorded today, we were recording a little later than we expected to because I had something blow up on the on the lawyer side of my life. And so I had a bunch of email in and I had an emergency. And so I deferred a ton of email to tomorrow. I mean, just kind of cleared the decks so I could have, you know, just focus on what I need to deal with with this emergency I had. So I used it in that method. And it sounds silly and artificial because you know that you haven't really got rid of the email. You've just put it off to another day. But when you look at your inbox and you don't have all those extra emails hanging around, uh, it really, at least for me, um, makes it easier for me to focus on the stuff that is in there. It, yeah. It's completely artificial. And maybe some people don't need it. But for me, it, it really helps. And and when I have an email, I, I even have a defer, a five day deferral for some of the stuff in the, in the Max Sparky queue where it's like, oh, I would like to write this person back, but I just can't deal with it right now. And I need a few days to work on the stuff that's paying the bills. So in five days, it'll come back and then hopefully I'll be in a better spot to answer this person. And, um, and then I don't think about it and I don't feel guilty for not answering it. And it's just kind of out of mind for a few days. Another thing that I do in addition to defer is I sort my emails into specific folders. And so I have my primary inbox. And then we've talked extensively about the service that I, that we use SaneBox, Um, you know, full disclosure, they're, they're a sponsor of the show, but I've got specific tags and specific rules set up so that when certain types of emails come in, they're automatically filtered into certain folders. Um, and in my case, I have a couple of main folders. I have my main inbox. I have a Sane Later folder, which is um, things that SaneBox has already automatically filtered. And I have a pretty good track record of, of going through that Sane Later folder and just making sure that nothing important is in there. But I have another folder that I've set up um, specifically for Mac Power users related feedback. And I, I don't remember what algorithm SaneBox is using. I think I emailed them to have them tweak it a little bit for me, but it, it is amazingly good. But it doesn't bother me if there are unread messages or even at sometimes 20 to 30 messages in that feedback folder, because in my mind, that's where they belong. And I know that typically on a weekend or one night during the week when I have some additional time, I'm going to set some time aside to go through that feedback folder and respond to as many messages as I can. I know I'm not going to respond to all of them. And I've actually, unfortunately, as, as things have gotten a little bit busy and, and as much as I love the, the emails that you all send, many of them I'm just, you know, sending off to our future MPU live show archive that we keep and, and responding to some of them and, and some of them just get archived. I, I still read all of them for sure. But it doesn't bother me if those messages sit in that folder unread because I feel like they've at least been processed and there's a, there's a specific place for them. And I feel like I don't need to set up an OmniFocus task for every message that has come into that folder saying, respond to Joe, respond to Bill, respond to Tom, respond to Kathy. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the advantage of kind of these, this progress we've made with deferred email and auto sorting. And, and that as a concept is something, if you're not doing right now, I want you to go find a way to do it or at least try it. 
Um, so Katie and I are both Apple mail users. And I think one of the best solutions for us has been SaneBox. It's not because they sponsor the show. I was giving them money long before that happened. Uh, but they, it's a server based uh, solution. So I can use it with any application and I can create specific folders. Like, so, so for deferring in SaneBox, you set up a specific folder, like two days or five days or Monday at 8 AM or whatever, and you just put it in there and it's out of sight until the designated time. And the filtering same box, like Katie was saying, you can set up specific folders. I have them for news. I have one called later, which is, you know, the inbox is for the really hot stuff. Later is for the stuff that's not so hot. So when I wake up in the morning, instead of having, you know, a hundred emails, I've got seven and there's seven that I really want to deal with. And I don't have the problem that Katie's partner does. Now, same box isn't the only solution for this. Some of the apps we're going to talk about have some of this built in um, Gmail. Uh, is one of the innovators with some of this, and they've got some of these things built into the Gmail server. So there's lots of ways to do this. Um, but you, my recommendation is you find a way to try it because I made fun of it and poo-pooed it at the beginning, and now I rely upon it, and it makes my life easier. So it's something you should check out. Um, something that's kind of gone away over the years. It used to be that everybody had uh, folders and hierarchies of, of places to store all their mail messages, and I was never a fan of that. Um, I think you did it when we first started the show because of the way your firm was set up. But yes, the, um, I'm so happy to have gotten away from that. Yeah. And I think that's generally a mistake. I know there's there's use cases where you don't have a choice, but if you have a choice, uh, sorting all your email into subfolders is generally a bad idea. It takes a long time to do it. It's it's easy to make a mistake. And and if you're doing that and you don't have to ask yourself, how often do I use those folders to go find emails? Um, and how much time am I spending doing that? Because I think quite often um, you spend a lot more time setting up an organizational system like that, and you don't get the benefit out of the back end. And particularly uh, in 2016, the email search algorithms are better than ever. I mean, Apple Mail, Gmail, all of the ones we're going to talk about uh, have pretty good search engines built into them. So it's not that hard to find an email um, from Katie Floyd that has the word batleth in it. I mean, you can do that in just about any mail application. Whether That's or not all the emails. Involved. Yeah. So, <laughs> Isn't uh, that part of your signature now? <laughs> it is, yes. Um, one thing I do want to just throw out there is if you are using any kind of automation or a service to automatically filter your emails, you do want to check them um, and, and very especially check them when you first set up that automation, if you're if you're setting up rules to check email or if you're using a service like SaneBox or one of these other ones to automatically filter your folders, uh, filter your emails into folders, I always go through and I check what SaneBox has done. I go through when I get email in that feedback folder, even if I don't respond to it right away, I'm skimming through it to make sure that SaneBox hasn't made a mistake. And yeah. if I'm setting up a new email rule, especially, it is very easy when you're setting up an email rule to click an and instead of an or or an all instead of a something else. And all of a sudden, all of your email go haywire. So yeah. keep a keep a close eye on some of these automation systems. I once had a uh, I set up an email rule once and I clicked any instead of all on the uh, the rule selection. And everything went to the trash. I basically, you know, basically I, I got no Max Sparky email for like two days. I'm like, wow, that's a feature. Nobody, nobody loves me anymore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then I realized that I was just kind of silly and clicked the wrong button and it was archiving everything automatically. So it, that's not good. So, yeah, be careful with rules. We haven't even talked really about mail rules because it's it's a 
it's an app specific feature, but the, um, but I, I guess my, my fundamental point here is these new technologies of deferment and sorting can really make a difference. And, and I really hope that you're looking into that. Um, let's do one more sponsor before we talk about writing email and then actually get into our discussion of the, the clients. Yeah. So we've got a um, another great sponsor for this episode. I want to talk to you a little bit about Igloo. It's the internet that you'll actually like. And, you know, if you're looking for a better way to interact with the people at your office rather than using email, uh, Igloo is something that you probably want to look at. This can be one of the solutions that you bring to your boss uh, when they say, I want you to be responding to your email 24-7 because I might have something important to say. You can say, well, you know, I've done some research on that and that may not be the best way, but but how about Igloo instead? You know, with, with Igloo, you don't have to be stuck at your desk to do your work. You can manage your task list from your laptop during a meeting. You can share status updates from your phone as you're leaving a client site. You can access the latest version of a file from your house. You can even do it in your pajamas if you like. I mean, it's not like anybody's really going to know um, because everything is mobile now and your work should be too. Um, if you've experimented with office intranets before, uh just t- get that out of your mind. You don't even have to worry about that anymore because Igloo is nothing like that. Um, Igloo has built an internet for people who hate all the other internets. Um, they know how to make your internet feel like a place that you actually want to be. Uh, you can completely customize it and rebrand it to give it the look and feel of your team. They've got group spaces and role-based access permissions with an easy drag and drop widget editor that you can reorganize the whole platform to fit exactly how your team's work. Uh, and with our mobile lives, people are increasingly bringing outside applications into their companies and sensitive documents are easily to get scattered across platforms. This can be a big problem, but not if you use Igloo. Igloo is going to allow you to integrate services like Box and Google Drive and Dropbox into one big secure platform. Um, and you don't have to worry about it because Igloo is going to take care of all that stuff like you know 256-bit encryption and active sign-on directory integrations. You don't have to even know what those words mean. Just know that uh, Igloo is safe and secure. You can share files with your coworkers. You can collaborate with them. You can track who has read items with red receipts. This can be super useful for making critical, making sure that critical information is seen and making sure that everyone is on the same page. Like, remember those read receipts and emails? This is like that, but a whole lot better. Uh, so if it's time to break away from that intranet you hate or maybe your reliance on so much email, go ahead and sign up for Igloo now. You can try it for free for any team with up to 10 people. So here's a great opportunity to maybe deploy it in a small office or in a test group to see how it works uh, for as long as you want. Just sign up at igloosoftware.com slash users. And thanks so much to Igloo for supporting MacPower users and all of RelayFM. You know, you know, when you're writing email, there's some things you can do that kind of put you to the front of the line. And all this stuff is kind of obvious, but I don't think many people really think about it much. And it starts for me with your subject line. Um, you know, it, I, it's, it's just amazing to me how many people don't spend any time looking at the subject line of their emails, especially when they're writing replies. I mean, the replies are the worst, but re, re, but re, 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 hi. Re, yeah, exactly. But but even like sending a new email, like one of the things I do is when I'm making an appointment with somebody, um, I'll say like, you know, Olive Garden on Friday at 10 a.m., question mark, you know, and that'll be the subject line. And that tells the whole story of the email right in the subject line. And I feel like when the recipients get that email, they, um, they uh, you know, they understand it's easy for them to process and, and much more likely for them to reply to me. By the way, when you're setting an appointment, do that. 
set a date and time and location in your email. Don't say, how about sometime Friday? Where's good? What would you like? Or you're going to have seven or eight emails before you figure it out. Just take, you know, take charge, be the boss. Just yeah. Or at the uh, very least, give very limited choices if you feel you have to give a choice, because otherwise yeah. you'll go back and forth forever. Yeah, that's probably more of a calendar show comment. But but you can put, you know, make a subject line that matters. And and if you're responding to someone saying, you know, you could have a reply that says, I'd like the gray Batmobile in your subject line. And then they already know the answer to the question that they sent you. And it, it just makes so much more sense. I always feel bad about this because when I reply to emails, because we get a lot of email from listeners and readers, um, I don't really spend a lot of time on subject lines in those emails because I'm trying to get as many answered as possible. But but when you, it's work related or when you're asking somebody for something, uh, you know, spend some time working on that subject line. And, and what I recommend is you don't write the subject line until after you've written the body of the message. I mean, right order is a whole nother conversation, but if, if nothing else, just wait until you've written the message, because a lot of times you don't have your thoughts completely organized when you're in that subject line. And that's why you just skip it over, but just go back after you finish writing the message, go back and spruce up the subject line and send it. And I bet you will see an increase in the number of people that reply to your emails and how quickly they reply. Um, the other thing that you can do, and a lot of email clients are making this easier now, is to reply in line, especially if someone has sent you a message that has multiple questions or multiple topics that you can address. You can put little snippets of their message in, you know, a little greeting up front, and then uh, little snippets of their message in, and then respond to those specific issues. A couple of sentences of their message, and then respond to the next issue. A couple more sentences, and then respond and close it out. Yeah, I had a really funny example of this in my um in my um book because it it actually gets confusing when you don't do inline replies. I mean, the idea was you know, when you when you had a letter and someone would say, "Hey, can I borrow the money and um is it true that you have this terrible disease?" and you write back and you say yes. Um you don't know if you just agreed to loan the money or if you confirmed you have a terrible disease. So it's very confusing and and the idea of having inline replies allows you to be very specific as to the specific question. And it also allows, so there's no room for misunderstanding on the other side. And it also allows you to kind of narrow the scope of the email. Like sometimes I'll get an email from someone and it'll be three paragraphs of text. And there's really only one thing in there that requires my reply. So I will reply with just the one sentence of the, that the question is, and I'll answer that. And the rest of it, they can just assume that I read and thought that was cool. Um, in Apple mail, a really great way to do that is to highlight the section you want to reply to. Like if there's three paragraphs, you only going to respond to one sentence, just highlight the one sentence, then hit the reply button. And then Apple mail just brings over the one sentence. It doesn't bring over the entire email message. Have you so, found a great way to do this in iOS other than reply and then delete out the pieces you don't want to respond no, it's to? It's terrible. There's no. no good way to do it on iOS uh, or at least Apple mail on iOS. Um, I always find myself having to go back and delete and do all this weird stuff. Uh, but when you, when inline replies are possible, do them. Um, another thing is you can just respect the recipient's time, you know, try yeah. and not make it don't write a novel. I mean, it's an email. This is huge because we all are struggling with the issue of email. Some of us have more than others, but everyone is struggling with email. One of the things that I try to do is I try to break up my email as much as I can. I, I use short sentences and frequent paragraphs, you know, broken up by subject. Here's an issue. Here's an answer. Here's an issue. Here's an issue. There we go. And, and we're done. Um, and then again, is email the proper 
venue for this conversation. If not, then we take it offline and and go somewhere else with it. If I find that we're emailing back and forth and back and forth with something, then it's, it's time to get it offline. I mean, don't write a book when you when you don't have to. I mean, is this person interested? Do they need to know this? Do they care to know this? Yeah. Another tip I'd give is I call it pruning the thread. You know, when you have a lot of email going back and forth on one conversation, the email gets to be a thousand words long because there's all the prior emails listed below. Now, there's no reason to do that. I mean, if you're going to write a, a mindful email, just get rid of all that stuff below. Just answer this. Like I said, have the one sentence and the answer. And that tends to to wrap up those threads so you can get on with life. You've already mentioned that open-ended questions are bad because they can just lead to dozens more emails. Ask for what you want and then get in and get out. The other end, you know, into that is, you know, if you're inviting someone out for a meal and you want to meet at Olive Garden at 10 o'clock, well, you know what? You've just picked the restaurant. Now you get to eat an Olive Garden where you like to eat. Yeah, but I don't really like Olive Garden that much. Well, then you should have picked somewhere else. You should have said, then why can't we eat at the sandwich shop at 10 o'clock? Lately, I've got a thing with Wahoos and their shrimp tacos. Those are good. Maybe I don't think we'll we have there. Wahoos here. Yeah. You're missing out. Okay, uh, don't shout. Um, you know, don't write in all caps. I mean, it's just silly. I, I, just don't do it. It makes you sound like, I, I think when you when I get an email like that, I just assume the person on the other end doesn't know anything about email. Um, what we talked about write order. The subject line, I think, should go at the end and the body should go first. But another thing you can do there is, you can, is the attachments. Like if you're going to send an attachment to someone, that's the one thing we always forget. I know I've done it. I don't think there's anybody that's listening to the show that has ever sent an email that didn't have an attachment on it. Missing. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, so I always like when I know I want to send an attachment, that's the first thing I do. I put the attachment into the body of the message before I even start writing anything. I, yeah. I kind of flip the order. I've got a plugin for that. We'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah. There are plugins too, but you know, just get the attachment in there first, then write the body, then write the uh, subject. It's, it's a little weird because the, the way the software is developed, it all is the opposite. You know, that you hit the tab key and it, it advances you in the exact opposite direction. I think you should put the recipient in the message last because nothing worse than having the message half written or a draft that's got stuff in there that you don't really want to send to the person. And then somehow you accidentally send it. Um, if there's no, if the person's name isn't in the recipient line, that will never happen. And um, I'm sure there's people that have probably would have kept their jobs if they hadn't put the, um, the name and the recipient line till they were all done. Yeah. Now let's talk about the bane of my existence. And that is the reply all button. I, <laughs> yeah. I almost wish by default that, that male developers would take this off the toolbar because I have seen so many problems happen because people replied all, and it is just not necessary. And, and I would encourage you whenever you get a message to think, do I need to, because sometimes messages are legitimately sent to many people, and then we'll talk about using the CC and the BCC field appropriately next, but do I really need to respond to everybody who sent me this message, or do I just need to respond, or everybody who's on this thread, or do I just need to respond to the person who sent me this message? I mean, in our office, when we're doing conflict checks or something like that, we'll send out messages to everybody in the office. Just FYI, this is what I'm doing. If anybody has a problem, let me know. I don't need to then, or if somebody else sends that message and I'm CC'd on it, I don't, I guarantee you I will get seven responses from everybody else in the office who reply, nope, nope, sounds good with me. Okay, thank you. And I'm like, oh, stop it. Yeah. So, so the, the first thing uh, 
you're talking about there is if you are a recipient of a reply all message, um, you really only need to reply to the original sender. So if someone's asking about a conflict, you, you write back and Joe, it's from Joe. You just write an email back to Joe. You don't, you don't copy everybody else by hitting reply all. And, and that saves everybody a lot of, of trash in their box. Um, the other question is, do you need to hit reply all, you know, at all? Is that something where it's just a mistake? It happens quite often. Um, you and I see it because we do some stuff in litigation where people really get in a lot of trouble because of the reply all button. But uh, I think I wrote something in the book that, you know, the reply all button is responsible for more people getting fired than anything on any computer. And, you yeah. know, it just, it just, it just happens and, uh, you have to treat it like a loaded gun. So right. be really careful. The, and then the other issue, and I know you're going to get to that is, but I have a great story for this just this week, um, is the CC and the BCC field is who are you going to send the message to? When does someone need to be copied to it? And when do you want a blind carbon copy? them to a message. And I think it is very considerate if you use these fields appropriately. Not everybody needs to be in the two field and certainly not everybody needs to be in the CC field. I think the BCC field is a much underused field. Yeah. I, and and a lot of mail clients don't even make it easy. Like in Apple mail, there's a setting where you turn on to have the BCC appear as a standard field. Otherwise you have to go digging for it. So I always turn that on. Uh, it might be partly because of our day jobs, but um, uh, quite often, I think people get carbon copied on email that they don't really need to be. You know, if you're uh, and just just spend a minute thinking about that, because it just adds more noise to that person. And if they really don't need to be part of it, then leave them out of it entirely. Well, I'd uh, rather be, be carbon copied than two uh, than in the two line, because I've got a same box filter that will put everything that I'm cop- carbon copied to in a separate folder, which is yeah. great. I know not everybody else has that. Um, but just this week, uh, we, we always get our Christmas trees. This is my story um, from this local family Christmas tree farm that's in the in the outskirts of town or actually in the neighboring more rural area of town. And um, so we, we drive out there and we get our Christmas trees. And they have a little mailing list where they send you a, a postcard to letting you know that, hey, Christmas trees are in stock. You can come get them, whatever. And this year, they've they've switched over to an electronic mailing list. They don't want to send out the, the paper postcards anymore. Well, whatever, fine. And so I was out there with the family, and we all we all go, and we all get our Christmas trees together, and we come back with, with you know, two or three trees between the, the group of us. And my mom comes back as the, the guys are loading the trees up in the truck, and she said, oh, they've switched over to a, an email list. Don't worry, I gave them your email address. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, I never give anybody my email address. Don't do that. And then just this week, I got an email addressed to me in the two field and easily another 250 people in the two field, people from yeah. all around town yeah. saying, hi, thanks for signing up for our email list. This is a test of our email system. Yeah, and so, also 200 people have your email address. They all have my email. I'm like, why can't you use something like MailChimp, number one? Yeah. And number two, you know, please put me in the BCC field. Yeah. So uh, you want to talk about the way to do that right? Yeah. I mean, if you're going to, like you said, MailChimp or something like that is probably ideal. But if you're going to do it by mail, what you do is you send the you send the mail to yourself and you put all of the recipients in the BCC field. And so all they see, like if Katie was the business, I'd get an email uh, from Katie to Katie with uh, the email message, but I would be blind carbon copied. So I would get it and I would not see everybody else. And uh, that's the way you do it. But this isn't just a problem with people that sell Christmas trees. I've been on 
list for some some text or some some place I've I've spoken uh, about the, technology. The and, Macworld Media List. How many people's email addresses have I gotten from that? I won't yeah. lie. I've gone scrounging through it. Yeah. So it, you know, it, it's just it's something you do, and and I think a lot of people make this mistake without even being aware of it. But you know, you don't want to send out. It's not polite to send out everybody's address. Yeah. So don't. Uh, one last thing on writing email is signatures. Um, I, uh, and this is, this is one of my personal pet peeves. I don't know if I am rational about this or maybe not, but I hate signatures that are like three inches long. I just mm-hmm. hate it when I get those. Um, sometimes you have to, like if you like in the financial industry or something, you For may compliance have compliance reasons. Yeah, exactly. But it's so often people, and they put like two or three graphics and all this other stuff, you know, my, my email signature is like, uh, even for my law job, it's my name, my firm name, my phone number, you know, and my website, that's it. And I figure you can find the rest with those bits of information. I I just, I'm not a fan of big signatures. I'm not a fan of the ones that have massive typography in them because half the time people on the other end aren't going to have the right font or whatever, and it's going to look terrible. So uh, go easy on your signature. Yeah, this is another thing that I've, I've again, now that I'm out of, out of that job, I don't have to worry about anymore, but I've really tried to educate people on that says, you know, when you send this nifty graphic in your email signature, number one, it does nothing but blow up the size of your email message. Not everybody can see it. it it's not rendered correctly by everybody. It may look good in your email client, but that doesn't mean it's going to look good in everybody's email client. And then lawyers sometimes can be the worst about having pages and pages and pages of disclosures under their email signatures. Okay, maybe not pages, maybe paragraphs of disclosures under their email signatures. And so you're sending a one sentence email with, you know, a four to five line signature and then four paragraphs of disclosures under your signature. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Yep. So, and, and, you know, obviously check with your industry. I'm not giving you advice. Many of those disclosures don't do anything. You just think they do something. They don't do anything or may not yeah. do anything. And then they see somebody else with one that's longer. So then They're, they copy that. Let me copy that one. Yeah. Yeah. So my general rule is I keep it short and I keep it plain text. Yeah. Because that, that seems to satisfy everybody. And then of course, think about the appropriateness of your email signature, especially in a business context. I mean, I know a lot of people will want to have inspirational quotes or other things under their email signature. And I think that adds a little flair of personality, but um, you know, just keep in mind that the person who's receiving that email may not necessarily share your viewpoints on, you know, whatever the topic is that you're putting in your email signature line. So I always think the one that's like to save the environment, this email will not be printed. I'm like, okay, that's great. I'm so happy for you. I, why I, did you make me read that? <laughs> I have a friend of, um, a, an acquaintance of mine who works in the forestry business and their email signature says the exact opposite. It says it is okay to print this email and tells you all the reasons why paper is good and biodegradable and trees are replenishable and <laughs> and gives jobs to people in the forestry so industry. That, or that's something. something I really don't want to read either. So <laughs> no, I was really, just like, okay, not interested. Um, the uh, yeah, so there's a lot there to cover, uh, you know. But I I think um, if you spend some time, if you, if you adopt a few of these habits, you can improve your email. You can make it easier for yourself and make it easier for the people that are listening or, or receiving your emails. All right. Well, we are an hour in and we have not yet even talked about a single <laughs> what, email client. What but do we do, Katie? Are I we going to just listen to two? I mean, No, we can do it because I, I don't think we have as much to say as we think we have to say about email clients. 
Okay. So let's let's take a quick sponsor break. Um, let's come back and we'll talk about some Mac clients, and then we'll take, talk about some iOS clients too. Okay. Well, uh, our sponsor today is our pals over at Fujitsu, and you know, talk about a great company. They've been a sponsor of our show for so long, and they make the amazing ScanSnap document scanners. So if you've got paper in your house and you want to turn it into something digital you need yourself a fujitsu scan snap they've got uh, they've got several models but the the three that we like to focus on are the ones that i think most make most sense for most people is the uh the ix500 at the starting point and that is a the desktop scanner it's got a 50 sheet feeder on it so you can take your old books or your old papers or whatever, just stick them in there. And there's a blue button on it. I love it. It lights up. You push the blue button and it just starts zipping them through there. And the scanner is what they call full duplex. It's got a scanner that scans the front and the back of the paper at the same time. So you don't have to do that silly thing where you put it in one direction and flip it over and put it in again. It happens all at once. And it uses a USB 3.0 port. So it, it's, it's just lightning fast. It gets that stuff in there. It can scan 25 pages per minute. Um, if you've got a mobile device, it can scan directly to the mobile devices. You don't even have to have it plugged in for that stuff. It's got, you know, it just, it goes right in. They've got an advanced paper uh, feeding system. And because of the technology, it goes through and it has what they call a separation roller. And it m- minimizes jams and multi-feeds. I mean, you almost never have it where it grabs two pieces at once. And when it does, quite often it catches it itself and says, hey, wait a second, had a problem. You need to put that page in again so I can get it right. Um, it's got more scanning options. It's got really great software. It's got the ability to perform optical character recognition on the scan as it comes in. I talked about this on a recent ad spot. I've heard it from a bunch of listeners, but I've been going through and scanning all our cookbooks in. And so I do the OCR as I do it. So if I want to search for a specific recipe now, I've got one folder. I type in in spotlight, uh, you know, something, something soup. And it just comes up with every recipe available to me. I love it. Um, so that's the Fujitsu iX500. Uh, one step down is the 12 pages per minute, more portable S1300i. And and below that is the S1100, which is ultra portable. It's almost like a wand. It fits in your briefcase or your bag. It can work off USB or even wireless. And it takes one page at a time. Now, all of these have that same software, though. They all have the ability to get the OCR in. They have the ability to scan to a specific folder. They even have hooks to things like Evernote or whatever is your system of choice. Um, the best part about this is is when you buy one of these. And I remember the first time I bought one, I was like, wow, that's a lot of money uh, for a document scanner. But it just, it just solves the problem. N- no longer is paper an issue. I mean, every day I bring the mail in. I scan it through in the Fujitsu scanner. I get rid of the paper. And we don't have paper all over the house. And when we need to find something, we can find it because we've got computers and this stuff is all indexed and OCR. It's just a great solution. Uh, they love the Mac. They love iOS. They're, you know, they, they've always supported Apple um, hardware. Uh, Fujitsu is a great company. So many listeners have bought them over the years and written and tell us how much they love theirs. You should too. So go check it out at easy.com slash SSMPU. Did I get that right? Did they switch that up on us? I forget. Yeah, actually, they did switch it up. It's actually uh, budurl.com slash SSMPU. We'll put a link in that to the show notes. Sorry, S- sorry about, that. about that. So it's budurl slash SSMPU. But you can also find them on Amazon and on the web, wherever you go. Um, you get uh, We get credit if you buy it through uh, budurl slash SSMPU. So that makes us feel pretty good. But you can even just send them a, a tweet or whatever. Um, it's just a great bit of hardware solve the paper problem forever get yourself a fujitsu scan snap thank you fujitsu for sponsoring the mac power users 
All right. Um, well, you have done quite a bit of research into Mac um, mail clients. And yeah. there's some Mac mail clients and there's some Mac mail clients that also have um, Mac and iOS clients. Yeah, I broke it up into three categories. There's the stuff that's just on the Mac. There's the stuff that's on both, which is the majority of it. And then there is the stuff that is just on iOS. And there's a couple of those. Um, and I, I put it out there to the listeners and said, what are your favorites? So I, I had a, I started with a list from them. I didn't go through every one because there were just so many, which is a good sign. You know, we've got a pretty healthy market. Yeah. But I did go at the ones that were most popular between our listeners and the ones I, I just liked or was interested in as well. And uh, I thought we'd kind of go through and catalog the what we like and dislike about these various mail clients. And I know both of us have been trying out a bunch of them. Yeah. Um, the, the first one we got a recommendation was from actually the good doctor. Uh, Dr. Drang recommended MailMate. In fact, he says this is the one that that he loves. Um, it's it's pretty keyboard centric um, and it has great search functionality and markdown support. Yeah. So MailMate is the... Um, I think, I don't know if I should use the word ugly. I don't like yes. the user interface very much. Um, it, it's older, you know, it's kind of like an old school style mail application. Well, you know, the but, doctor likes his old tools. But you know what? It's a beast. I can tell you because I, I loaded my whole mail database into it. And this thing, it's rock solid. I mean, I didn't have any crashes with it. Um, one of the things I noticed in trying all this out is a lot of these applications have occasional crashing, including Apple's own application. And I think it's because of these database sizes, they just get overwhelmed. But MailMate is like a monster. It handles a huge mail database. Um, it's really good at um, using the keyboard. Like if you want to just fire through your mail off the keyboard only, this is it. We had a lot of people recommend MailMate. It wasn't just Dr. Drang. I, I think because, you know, we're Mac power users and a lot of our listeners are power users. Um, this is a great app for power users because it, it's like that. It like the search is crazy. You can put custom key bindings in. So, I mean, the keyboard shortcuts can go really nuts. You can write in Markdown. Uh, no exchange. Um, yeah, that makes was, it kind of a non-starter for me. Yeah. Um, but man, and, and they've they've I know they're working on version two and they got they did a funding campaign that got fully funded. And I think this application is going to get a lot prettier when they come out with version two. But um, if you're looking for something super powerful, um, a lot of our listeners are using MailMate on the Mac and something else on iOS. And it would be maybe one of the various applications we're talking about below. And and to me, I think this really calls out to the people that have a large database, want to do keyboard centric kind of email management, don't want to spend a lot of time with the mouse. They just want to kind of fast and get through it. Um, I don't think I'm probably doing it full justice. I've only been using it really for about a week, but the, um, but I see why people like it. And it's like, this is one that I'm not going to uninstall when we finish recording this show, because I just feel like this, I could see myself falling into the mailmate, um, school as well. Um, mailmate, I think is probably one of the only ones that we looked at that didn't have a companion iOS version. Yeah. Um, uh, mail pilot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, MailPilot is the next one that we we looked at. It's it's available both for Mac and iOS. Um, it's it's very pretty. Now, it it kind of you know I'm trying to think of what else do they make. They, um, the folks who make MailPilot make a couple of different um, Mac apps, I believe. But MailPilot's got a, a very nice look and feel. Um, it's a pretty minimalistic interface. Um, and it kind of gives you the ability to go through um, and it basically takes kind of a task management approach to email. 
you can mark yeah, it, it's, mail is it, complete or not. It's it's almost like a, a to do list style email application. Like, and, and that to me is one of the pain points for it. But but and we talked about deferring email and in MailPilot, deferring is a is a big feature in the application. Now the, the we use it, you and I do it through the same box service where we pay and they, they t- kind of take care of it for us in their server. Uh, in these applications, we're going to talk about it now. A lot of them do it locally. So they create a local folder and the, the application actually puts the email into those folders as you manage them. MailPilot has a really nice way of doing it on the, on the iOS devices, you just swipe, you know, if you swipe the mail um, and, and the further you swipe, the longer it defers. So it'll start with one day. I think it gets up to five days and I think that's adjustable. So the further over you swipe, the further away the mail goes. So if you're going through your inbox and you're like two days, two days, three days, then you stop and answer another email. Then you can, it just, it's a very efficient way to go through and use this deferring system. Uh, I would recommend uh, if if you're interested in deferring email, um, this is one that may be worth looking at, but you've got to kind of work in their ecosystem because they've got a, a Mac app and a, um, and an iOS app. I, I bought the Mac app as I was testing things because I hadn't purchased it for a while and they have a version 2.0 on it now. <clears throat> the, um, the Mac app does have pretty good keyboard shortcut support. Like I like the way that you can um, uh, like, I think, I think it's space is to it's to archive it and delete is to delete it command r is to reply command e is reply to everyone it you know i i got into a nice rhythm using it um and when you do the deferring on the ios app it it naturally comes over to the mac app but once again you kind of want to work within their ecosystem so i think one of the things with this application is you should go online look at the pictures of it and and if you're interested you know download it and give it a, a try for a while but it's something that you really should be using on both platforms. Um, the reviews of the application, I was looking at the reviews in the app store, were very critical of it being crashy. And I didn't have any crashes and I've been using it for about a week. I did have it occasionally freeze on me where it wouldn't crash, but just I couldn't get it to do anything. And then eventually it would stop. And I think that kind of gets down to my database size. Um, whereas like with MailMate, I, I never had a problem like that. Um, uh, I think fundamentally for me, the fact that they try and treat email management as task management is a problem because I have a lot of task management that doesn't have anything to do with email. And just the idea, you know, I have trouble having two different places that I would do task management. in. But, but you know, that's really just in your head. I mean, it's just a deferring system. And if you're willing to do deferring system there, it would work there as well as anywhere else. I was just waving my hands. And I banged into the mic. Did you hear that? Nobody noticed. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> I'm very animated when I talk about mail applications, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so MailPilot, I would not give it a thumbs down. I would not give it a huge thumbs up either. I, th- I think it's kind of a unique character. I do like the UI. I think it's very, it's nice looking. And, you know, as silly as that sounds, if you're going to spend the whole day in the application, uh, it should look nice. Yeah. Another one uh, you looked at was AirMail. And AirMail was one of the few that we looked at that actually has support for Exchange. Because yeah, that was that was tough to find. Uh, it is pretty minimalistic. You could actually kind of be confused when you're first looking at it to think, is this mail or is this a Twitter window I'm looking at here? Yeah, it, it, they, you know they're trying to go with that sparse look, and and that's fine as well. I I, I look at AirMail and see it very similar to MailPilot in a lot of ways. Um, I like the way uh, 
you know, they have, um, you know, the, the, the look of it is nice. I like the way it displays attachments for off. Uh, it has a nice kind of bar across the bottom where it shows attachments there. And it's very easy to see them. Apple mills, the way they deal with Apple mill attachments, I'm kind of mixed about it. You know, sometimes they show up, sometimes they don't, sometimes they show up in the middle of the message. It, it's just not very consistent where Airmail does a better job of it. They, they just released as we were prepping for the show, an iPhone application and I've been playing with it a little bit. I don't feel like I know it well enough to really render judgment on it, but it, it, it follows the same design aesthetic as the application on the Mac. It doesn't work on the iPad yet. It's, it's still just a phone app. I would assume that they're probably working on that. Yeah. And it seems to be more focused on definitely it will get the mail out of your inbox. I mean, you can snooze it, you can move it to a folder, um, you can send it somewhere else, but you really have to expand it to get in there and, and reply to things. I mean, you still can, but it, it seems more focused on the, what can I quickly do with this instead of getting in there and actually responding to mail? Is that fair? You think, or no? Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, to tell you the truth, all the applications we're talking about are perfectly adequate to, to deal with even a large amount of email. And I think some of it's just kind of personal fit, you know, like, like I'm a fan on the phone of using swipes to get work done with the mail. Um, and, and different applications have different swipe, um, functions and i don't remember offhand if you want to just give me one second you know i don't want to do it right now we're online but you know this one like the swipe in pilot uh, mail pilot felt to me more natural than this swipe in air mail but yeah. uh, um it's hard for me to be too critical of it because i do think it, it's got a nice look and it answers email i mean that's what you wanted to do you know yeah. And um, like one of the things they did with this application, I thought is uh, with the six with the six uh, S. If you force press on the icon, um, I can search mail from right there. You know, I can it, it's got the search menu. And a lot of times, I want to get into mail, I want to find something to respond to. And I found that very intuitive, just to kind of hard press or three D touch on the icon on my home screen and initiate a search or create a new message. I thought that was just a really nice feature. Yeah. So another one um, that I spent some time looking at was Outlook, and Outlook has had a big face look lift recently, both for the Mac and iOS, but the iOS app especially has gone through big changes, and basically that was because Microsoft acquired a couple of other apps and, and built that into Outlook. Um, Outlook on iOS will will support all kinds of services. It will support Exchange. It will support Office 365. Asterisk, I'll come back to that. Um, you know, iCloud, Gmail, Yahoo Mail, IMAP accounts, and all of that. Um, I did run into some issues using Outlook for iOS. Ironically, when I was trying to use it with the Exchange account that was set up for my school, because I found that my school had specifically limited their policy that they were only going to allow Exchange on the Mac and on iOS and, you know, presumably on PCs as well, they specifically excluded the Outlook app. They would not allow you to put, you know, per their policy, they would not allow you to put your email in the Outlook app. Um, and so I got an error message when I tried to add the account and then I got a nasty automated email from the, you know, administrator saying this, this action is prohibited. We won't let you do this. And I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if that's probably from a, um, a data retention policy, if if they want to make sure that they can wipe the account and they don't know if they can go into Outlook and get that data out of there. But anyway, so just check with your, your policies if you, if you use Exchange. But um, Outlook has a lot of nice features. I mean, it does have the focused inbox, 
Um, so you can look at it will do some some intelligent tweaking of your email. It, it's got a lot of swipe options that you can do. It also does the scheduling and snoozing of emails that you can snooze something for in a couple of hours or tonight or tomorrow morning or, or choose a time. Um, it is integrated. It will. It's an all-in-one app that will integrate your calendars and your contacts and and even your files, so it can access Dropbox and and other kinds of files folders. It it really is a, a great application. I would say a couple of problems with it is it doesn't have support for a lot of third-party apps or even share sheet functionality. So, you know, because it's Outlook, you're not going to have things like Text Expander built in. Obviously, you've got the Text Expander keyboard if you want it, but unless it's unless it's like an Outlook partner, it's not going to support a bunch of those third-party features that other developers are going to support. I thought the funniest thing that we kind of called out to the listeners on Twitter, and a lot of people wrote back almost apologetically saying how much they like Outlook for iOS. Yeah, <laughs> but, it's great. You know, I think it's, um, there's some kind of stigma, I guess, with Microsoft software, but, you know, they're, they're really doing great, especially on iOS. Uh, not many people wrote in saying that they can't wait to use it on the Mac. And um, I did go ahead and set up one of my IMAP accounts and use it in Outlook on the Mac, and it felt like same old Outlook to me. It didn't feel like it's getting the same degree of innovation that, that's showing up on iOS at all. It's basically same old Outlook with a, it's blue now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, but the, uh, but yeah, it's, it, there's nothing wrong with it. And we had like, we had people writing in saying I'm using MailMate on the Mac and I'm using Outlook on iOS or whatever app, you know, but the, um, but I played with Outlook too. I didn't spend as much time in it as you, cause I knew you were going to be covering this one for the show, but I think it looks good. I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that Apple, that Microsoft would, start acquiring companies that are making good iOS apps and using that as a starting point rather than doing it themselves. Yeah. I've been pretty and, impressed with Microsoft's iOS strategy recently. Yeah. I mean, and a couple of years ago, there's just no way they would have ever um, not done it themselves and grown it all internally. And now they're saying, well, Hey, somebody has got something really great. Let's just buy them and, and use that as a jumping off point. And I think it shows, um, I think it shows a lot of maturity the way they've been handling it. So right. don't feel bad if you're using Outlook for iOS. I mean, yeah. maybe it's what you need. So check it out. Like you said, they, they've got the focused inbox, which is um, kind of like the same box feature, um, the filtering yeah. feature. And they've got, they've got snoozing, which is deferring emails. So that's another place to kind of try those features out if you're interested. Yeah. Uh, the oh, other one that's out there is, Gmail. And there's both Gmail that you can access through, you know, mail.app on your phone, but Gmail also has standalone clients. I'm not a huge fan of Gmail standalone client. It it feels very webby to me. And the problem with Gmail is that it takes so long for them to update anything after there's a a phone or an iOS update. It it feels like it takes forever. Yeah, they're they're lagging on that stuff. I mean, it's, it's really crazy with the Google Docs stuff on the ipad pro and there's some stuff going on that i'm just i don't know understand it why isn't it updated but but gmail is really its own bird i mean it's not imap it's not pop it's not exchange it's it's a whole different kind of protocol it gives the guys over at google a chance to be more experimental and and i think they really led the way with some of this stuff i mean gmail has for instance filtering i don't remember if they were doing before same box or after but it was right around the same time but they have a filtering system in um, they have labels, which is one of the first big implement implementations of tagging an email that I saw, especially for a cloud-based solution. I mean, there's so many strengths that come with going to 
company like Google for something like email because they are really masters of handling big data. And if your email's in there, it's going to you know, be pretty reliable and be there. There's weaknesses too, though. I mean, it's, it's largely a cloud-based and browser-based email system. You know, we did, had very few people write in and tell us how much they love any specific Google or Gmail client for the Mac. They are out there. But most people just want to do it in the web. And frankly, that's how I recommend it, because that's the only way you're going to really get the most out of what Google's bringing to the table. If you let them control that experience and in their mind on the Mac, it's on the web and on iOS, it's in their apps, which you say, you know, don't get it updated enough. You're probably right. But still, the Gmail features that you're going to want the most are most likely going to be covered there. Um, when people tell me they're trying to use Gmail accounts with Apple Mail, I always tell them, that they should really consider switching to one of the Google, you know, recommended solutions because inevitably there's going to be a problem because Apple mail and Gmail are just kind of, they speak two different languages. Well, and to be fair, I found that Apple mail has gotten better with Gmail and some people have problems and some people don't. So and, yeah, but a uh, lot of people do. Yeah. <laughs> a lot um, of people do. An- another of the iOS and I, I'm kind of turboing through these cause I know we're running long uh, clients that we looked at was dispatch and dispatch has been one of these iOS clients that has been a favorite for a long time, but it was only available on the iPhone for a while. And now it is finally available on the iPad as well. And Dispatch was one of the early iOS email clients that had a bunch of functionality built in. And now, as, as you've seen from what we've discussed in the show, there there are a lot of other options now. But Dispatch is still really worthy of some consideration. The big thing is that Dispatch is very, very customizable. Uh, in fact, maybe a little too customizable because I think you can really dig into the weeds and then, and maybe spend too much time setting it up and configuring it and not actually getting your email done. But they've got lots of custom swipe gestures, but their big thing is they've got um, built-in send-to service. I mean, even before Apple had send-to support um, in their apps, they've always had the ability to take emails and send them somewhere. If you want to take an email and send it to Evernote, you can choose a specific notebook and add tags and add the attachment to it, um, and boom, you didn't have to leave your mail application. You could just send something to Evernote. You could add a calendar entry to Fantastical. You could create a task in OmniFocus or Things or Do or Reminder without actually leaving the mail application. Yeah, um, so this this stuff was really revolutionary when it first showed up yeah because there was you know there just wasn't any way to do it and and dispatch did uh one of the features they've added since the last time we talked about it and it's something that's been on my wish list forever is the export as pdf feature i mean mm-hmm. if, if you're an apple mail or frankly most of these email clients and you get an email that says hey you know this confirms you paid your electric bill or whatever it's not a pdf it's just a text in an email there's no way to save that as a pdf I don't understand why. I mean, every year we come up with a new version of OS 10. They don't add that sharing because you can save a lot of stuff as PDF on iOS, but for some reason you can't do it with an email. And then the Apple mail client doesn't support it. Dispatch has a button for it and it works. And that's just, that's just a really great little feature. Right. It also has some nice features for composing email. As you mentioned earlier, we'll automatically insert a salutation into your email. So it'll always, always stick hi, David, in your emails if you want to. Um, they do have, in addition to support for text expander, they also have um, support for some of their custom snippets. So if you have a couple of frequently used um, email templates that you use, you can load those into dispatch. 
you can attach documents from from cloud services. There's a lot you can do with dispatch, and it might be good to have on your phone, you know, for five bucks, just as kind of a Swiss Army knife email client, even if it's not your primary email client, to know that if you need to do something with an email, that you can go into dispatch and get it. Um, a, a couple of the problems that I had with it is it, setup can take a while just because there are so many options. And you see, then, I don't think that's totally fair. It does take a little while, but it's a one-time thing. Once you get it figured out, you're good. Well, but not necessarily, because then you have to set it up again on on the iPad. And I really wish, as we've seen like with Airmail, they have iCloud sync so that the preferences and settings sync through iCloud. Yeah. Uh, it'd be really nice if Dispatch supported something like that. So once I got it tweaked just how I like it, you know, that I know that those settings are going to uh, sync over from my iPad to my phone and vice versa. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't support Exchange either. And, you know, I found really with with all of those, all of these apps, none of them do background refresh as well as Apple does. And, and I think yeah. that's just a difference of being built into the OS versus not. Yeah, I'm not sure they have a choice. Um, listener Tracy wrote in her complaint about dispatches. It doesn't have swipes and snoozes, you know, like and like like um, mail pilot. You can swipe to snooze. They don't have something like that. But they don't they don't have that mechanism built in. They don't they don't create the folders and move messages for you. I'll tell you, I, I have kept dispatch and I, I've continued to use it for years, even though Apple Mail is my primary mail client. It's kind of a great way to clear out a lot of mail. Like when I'm going through um, feedback email for Mac Power users, I like it because when I, I can go through it, I hit reply, it automatically puts the name in. And this is great, especially like if we've got a listener who writes in from Germany, they've got a name that Siri cannot figure out for the life of it. I can't dictate, you know, hi, Gunther or whatever the name is. It just never gets it right. Whereas dispatch already has it there. And then I can just start dictating and get that email done and out the door quickly and like saving things to PDF. I mean, it just serves. It's like a mail utility to me more than it is a regular mail client. I, I've got it. I use it, but it's not the, the place I start and end with for email management. Yeah. And for five bucks, it's probably worth it for that purpose alone. But I think one of the things that's, that's interesting in all of this is, you know, you and I have spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks prepping for the show looking at third-party mail clients, looking at, um, you know, mail for the Mac and, and mail for clients for iOS. And one of the things that we talked about as we were prepping the show is that despite it all, we both keep coming back to Apple Mail as our primary mail client. And yeah, I, I mean, I really started this search hoping that I would say, okay, I'm not using Apple Mail anymore. Now I'm using insert name. And yeah. um, as I got to the end of the process, I realized, you know, none of them have drawn me enough to pull me away from Apple Mail. Yeah. And so there are a lot of things, and I think we'll wrap up the show with this, that you can do with Apple Mail to make it better and to give it some of the functionality that we love from some of these third-party clients. Uh, but before we talk about that, I do want to take a moment to thank our last sponsor, and that is our friends over at 1Password. Uh, and if you haven't heard the news, uh, 1Password has released a big update recently, and that is 1Password version 6 for Mac is now out. Um, it's available either as a direct download from their store at uh, onepassword.com, or the update is now available in the Mac App Store. And this brings a couple of big changes and updates to 1Password. Um, first is now you've got an all vaults view. 
Many of us have our um, 1Password data organized into multiple vaults, maybe a personal vault, maybe a family vault, uh, maybe even shared team vaults. Uh, now with 1Password, you can view everything in all of your vaults. So you can see all of the items in 1Password and 1Password Mini without switching vaults. They have also really vamped up their strong password generator. You know, you can use 1Password to automatically generate passwords for your various sites. And one of my favorite features of the iOS app, which has now come to the Mac app as well, is you can choose the new words option for creating a password uh, comprising of random words chosen um, from a list of approved words by their chief defender against the dark arts. And this can be great, especially if you have a password that you have to manually type in somewhere. So you want something that's like maybe typing friendly. Um, But if you can just put together a bunch of random words that it will select for you, um, that's a great way to do it. And 1Password can automatically uh, make those for you. Uh, perhaps my favorite feature of 1Password version 6 is that it now, thanks to some pretty significant changes that Apple has made, they now have the ability to offer iCloud Sync to all of their customers, whether you bought 1Password for Mac directly from the Agile Bits store. Um, and by the way, if you use the little link in our show notes, you can get a little discount on that. Um, or whether you bought it from the Mac App Store. And so, for example, I bought a 1Password family pack um, for my mom one year for Christmas and that means that my dad can use it and, and other people can use it. And they've been using Dropbox Sync, which has been fine. It's been very reliable. But this weekend when I went over there for dinner, I switched them over to iCloud Sync because now that's one less password that they have to remember, one less thing that we have to install on their iOS devices. It just, in my opinion, makes it a lot easier for them. And so we went ahead and switched them over to iCloud Sync. It it was great. Um, even though they had the direct purchase version from 1Password, it was awesome. They've also added support for Team Vault. And here's the best part of 1Password version 6. It's not going to cost you anything. If you currently own 1Password version 4 or 1Password version 5 for Mac, they're giving this to you as a free upgrade. I mean, personally, I think they're giving away too much uh, because I want them to continue to be very successful and stay in business. I would gladly pay them again for 1Password. Please take my money. Um, But they've decided to give it to you for free. If you are not an owner of 1Password, there has never been a better time to buy. So go head over to uh, 1Password.com, get more information, uh, and thanks to 1Password for their continued support of Mac Power users. So, Whoops, sorry. So after all this talk, here we are back at Apple Mail. Yep, we've we've come full circles. And, you know, in Apple Mail's defense, their email client, both on Mac and iOS, has continuously gotten better through the years. Well, they've added features. And, and also, frankly, I think it's got more stable. I, I remember it used to be kind of a running joke. If your mail got, if your database got so large, Apple Mail would, you know, grind to a halt. And there were all these third-party applications where you'd offload, you know, sections of your mail database. So it Scrolls didn't have to work butter. as hard. Yeah. And that's just, I haven't, I don't do that anymore. And my email database has only gotten, gotten larger and it's just, you know, it's fine. It handles it. Um, because it's a default client, there are certain things they get away with probably that other people can't. I mean, the guy who writes the Apple Mail client can probably pick up the phone on an internal line and talk to the guy who makes the operating system. And that always gives them a little bit of an advantage. Right. Um, It's going to work with just about any client. You know, it works with Gmail, although, as David mentioned, some people report problems. I I use it and I haven't had many. Um, It works with Exchange. Can I just ask you on that? Do you do how much of Gmail do you use, though? Do you use like labels and some of that? How many features do you use in Gmail? I'm not a big labels person. I've got a couple of folders and I'm done. 
Yeah. Okay. So I think that's the, that's the, the tipping point. If you're really, you know, a power user of Gmail and using all the features and the Google labs and that stuff, you should stay out of Apple mail. Right. But I'm basically, I've got four folders in Gmail. You know, yeah. That's okay. it. Um, it's, it's it uses exchange and it's kind of blessed for exchange so that probably some of your companies are going to allow you to use it so that they can control certain things. It works with pop and IMAP. Um, and then as you were talking about earlier in the show, it's got some very robust search features. I've never, well, unless you have to like rebuild build the search database or something, I, I've never had a problem not being able to find a message in Apple Mail. I've yeah. never not had a problem. That's probably a double negative. You guys know what I mean. I lost you somewhere in there, there you go. but I'll go with you. I'll there go you with go. it. And, and the nice thing is they, they even make like, they have types of search, you know, where you can say, if I type in Katie Floyd, it, it will automatically say, do you want all the messages to her from her or the entire, me- anywhere her name appears, the entire message. It's smart enough to know when I start doing something, uh, how it works. If I start typing a month or a year, it, it does that stuff for you. It puts, it creates those search tokens, and um, and you can use multiple tokens on the same search. And if you just use a little bit of uh, trickery there, you're going to be able to find just about anything you've ever sent or received. Yeah. I also I like that the data detectors in mail has gotten better, both on the Mac and iOS. So if someone sends me their contact information, I can usually immediately create a new contact card for them. Or if there's an address, I can send it to the Maps application or save an appointment to my calendar. Those features have seemed to have gotten a lot better in recent versions. Yeah. Uh, the mail drop feature, this is kind of a combination of technologies with Apple's iCloud, but you can attach... You know, traditionally, you know, I guess what what is the cap these days? About it, 20 megabytes? Or 10. You know? I mean, it, there's no, and that's the problem is there's no known cap. You don't know what the yeah. cap is because you don't know what the other person's email server is going to. It's it's the lesser of whoever has what. Yeah. So generally when you another, send an email another message. Another well thought out statement by Katie. <laughs> generally when you send an email message, we got the point. I get it. Uh, so generally when you send a message, if you've got a large attachment to it, a lot of times the system will crash and burn on that either at your end or at the recipient's end. And this happens like if you send pictures to people or large scans and, and quite often that's an issue for people. And so how do you send it? Well, you can put it in Dropbox and create a link. There's all these, you know, ways you can do it. But one of the things Apple has come up with is to say, we'll go ahead and put it in iCloud and send it for, send it as a link to your recipient. And all you have to do is drag it into the message. Um, like, you know, I sell these field guides and sometimes the video, the, the videos are very large files and occasionally I'll have a customer that has for one reason or another been unable to download it or, you know, they live in a country where they've got a poor connection or whatever. And when those people write me, I send it to them as a, as an attachment. And I use this technology. I just, I just attach it to the mail. Uh, Apple mail creates the mail drop um, link and sends it and stores it in an iCloud and they can just press a button and download it. And, Boy, it just works, and uh, and that's nice. It solves the large attachment problem. They also have that feature markup, which has showed up for Mail on the Mac the last couple of years. Do you use that much? Not at all. Yeah, me either. <laughs> Hardly ever use it. No. But it, the idea is if you have an, an image in a mail, you can go and do basic edits right in the mail application without having to open it up somewhere else. And it makes sense. It's kind of like um, preview light inside the mail application. Uh, but it, I don't, I don't find much use for it either. 
But to get some of the extra features that you want, the good thing about Mail on the Mac, at least, is that it has a plugin architecture. So third-party developers have been able to write plugins to further expand and enhance the functionality of Mail so that if it has a feature that's missing for you, well, there's a decent chance that a developer, or you if you want, uh, can write a plugin to fix that for you. Like, for example, one of the issues that you talked about is that mail doesn't necessarily handle attachments well. Sometimes the attachments show up, like, in the middle of the message, and sometimes they're in line, meaning, like, you can see the picture, and sometimes it shows up as an icon. Well, for example, there's a, a plugin that I use for that. It's called, like, Clive Giovanni's Anti-Inline Attachments. It's 15 bucks, and I will throw a link to it in the show notes, but it's great because it makes sure that attachments that I send are PC friendly and they're at the end of my message and it makes sure that attachments I receive are not in line. They're just the icons and they're at the end of the messages. So I don't have to worry about all these funky formatted email messages. Yeah. Two of my favorite um, uh, extensions for mail are mail act on and mail tags and they're made by the same developer and they they do kind of different things. We we didn't talk at all, but uh, on Apple Mail for Mac, they have a very extensive rules system that allows you to sort and, and do a lot of stuff with messages and and spend some time looking at those rules. Like I think I talked in a recent episode about how on my my legal side, whenever I send out emails out, I've got these rules that says, well, it knows the name of the client and the other lawyers involved with every matter, and it automatically assigns them in essence a mail tag based on the fact that they are included in it or the subject line includes the name of the case. And it just automates a process that I could spend a lot of time doing manually. And all that stuff is possible with a combination of the built-in rules and mail tags and mail act on. Um, there's just so much you can do with these. These plugins are so big um, in terms of power and control. Like if you want to say, I don't want this message to go out for another two hours, you can do that. If you want to tag it, if you, I mean, there's just a lot you can do with those two. Yeah. And that's a big one that I use a lot. We were talking about how I try to train people that I'm not going to respond to their email immediately. One of the things that I do is if I happen to be checking email and somebody just sent me something and I want to reply to it, I may reply to it to get it out of my inbox so I don't see it, but I'll use mail locked on and say, you know what? Don't send this for an hour. So they, you know, I'm, I'm training them a little bit, David. I got to I gotta yeah, I keep the it. expectations reasonable. Yeah, because they get it right away, then they're going to respond right away. And then when you don't reply again right away, they're going to call you and say, hey, yeah. did you get my mail? Yeah, because I know you're sitting there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, one that I previously used for the attachment issue was a plugin called Forget Me Not. Now, I, when I went to check that for uh, prepping for the show, it's now been um, like subsumed into a, a larger set of plugins that they've they've taken a bunch of plugins and they've put them in together into a service called Mail Butler. And I'm not thrilled with the pricing scheme. It's kind of a subscription based model. Like you get so many plugins to use for, you know, so many uses of them a month and then then you have to pay. But uh, you may want to check out Mail Butler. There may be other plugins that you can use that will keep this from happening. Yeah, the the ultimate mail tool for me, and I don't want to sound like a commercial because their sponsor is SaneBox, and we, we've already talked about them throughout the show, but SaneBox was really what made it possible for me to try all these different mail apps out because I've got them doing all that work for me in the back end, no matter which application I use, um, I still get the benefit of all the SaneBox processing. Um like, for instance, uh, when we heard people complaining, I don't like dispatch because it doesn't have defer 
you know, and it, well, it does for me because I'm using Sandbox. Yeah. Right. Um, but uh, Sandbox to me seems a particularly good fit for Apple Mail users. Because right. Because it, it, it doesn't it have defer yeah, use built in. Yeah. And it brings a ton of like functionality to the table that you wouldn't get otherwise. So yeah. uh, that's one. That if you're an Apple Mail user, go get a free trial. I mean, I think we'll put a link in the show notes. Um, but the um, sandbox.com slash MPU. Yeah. Go there and try it out because um. Uh, not many people that listen to our show that try it don't end up subscribing because it's just that good. Yeah. And then mail on iOS has a lot of the same things that mail on the Mac does. And again, it's gotten better. The, the, some of the big changes for me is, you know, having the ability to have VIP and notification by threads means that I can be very selective about the, the number of dings that I'm going to get in any particular day. And, and who's going to let that, that mailbox ding for me. Yeah, the one thing I wish VIPs was more context sensitive. Like I know there's plugins and and ways with Gmail where you can set it to say, if I have a meeting with somebody in the next two days and I get an email message from them, you know, put it to the top of the list. Um, VIPs aren't that smart. You know, you have to put somebody on the list and then you take them off the list. So like if I've got, if I'm working on a settlement with somebody, I'll, I'll make them a VIP for a few weeks. But it's just not um, something where, it's smart enough to figure out, wow, you're dealing with this person a lot, or you have a meeting or a phone call with him. Uh, that probably means you want to be notified if he emails you an hour before. Right. Um, uh, you know, a couple of places where mail falls down, probably the biggest omission on mail on iOS, at least, is despite Apple adding the share sheet functionality in so many other apps, is there is no share sheet functionality in mail for iOS. And I keep thinking this has got to come in the next version of iOS. I don't get it. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm stymied. Why? I don't understand. I don't, yeah. I don't know why, Katie. I have no answer. But that would be, you would think that would be so easy to implement, but maybe next version of the OS, maybe. Maybe there's something really major that I don't know, but it seems to me obvious. And, and so iOS 10... Knock on wood. I think if there's one feature in iOS 10, if I had to pick one feature, that might be the one. Yeah. Um, and then as we've talked about it, there's there's no snoozing built in, but that's where you can use a third-party tool like like Sanebox. So. Now, stability-wise, on iOS, I've had very good stability with iOS. They, they, they brought swiping, and we, we talked about it kind of off and on throughout the show, but you can very easily set swipe to archive and other things like that. Um, the... Uh, uh, I found it very stable on iOS on the Mac. I still have problems occasionally on the Mac. I still have issues, you know, not often, maybe once a month where Apple Mail acts a little weird and I quit it and restart it and it works again. How about you? Yeah. And there are tools that you can use occasionally, like to clean out your mail um, index, envelope index or to uh, vacuum the mail index or to, you know, clean out the search functionality. I use Onyx or uh, clean my Mac to do some of that. and, And that seems to help a lot. I'm not really feel, uh, I don't feel inclined to be very hard on Apple mail about stability issues once a month, because I, I have seen almost all of these apps I've been testing. have had little issues like that too. And, um, it's just, I think the amount of data we're throwing at them. Yeah. Well, I think we have, uh, we have done a pretty comprehensive review of the state of mail clients. And I think it's interesting that we've both come back to, to mail app, but it's good to know that there are a lot of other options out there. Um, yeah. And I think if our listeners have other options that we haven't covered, you know, this would be a perfect opportunity for them to send in some feedback, especially send us an audio comment. Uh, you can email that to a feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. You know, that little voice memo app on your phone works really well, especially if you're in a quiet environment. Uh, keep it to two minutes or less, but tell us what email application are you using uh, on the Mac and iOS if it's something different than one of the ones we've talked about or if you're using it in a different way and, and how is that working for you? 
Thanks to our sponsors, Linode, Igloo, Fujitsu, and 1Password. You can find out more about us Mac Power users on um, at relay.fm slash MPU. Uh, that's where our show notes are going to be as well. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Mac Power Users. Katie's at Katie Floyd, and I am at Max Sparky. Yeah, and I just wanted to say thank you to all of you who have supported the show um, through uh, memberships over at Relay. It's It's been very nice to, to see that, and uh, just wanted to say thanks for that. Yeah, appreciate it. All right, folks. Well, we will see you all next time. <laughs>